Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now here's your host, Dr. David Hilden. Hey everybody, it's Dr. David Hilden, your host of the Healthy Matters Podcast. Today we're going to talk about chiropractic care. Have you ever wondered what happens in a doctor of chiropractic's office? What conditions do they see? What can you expect? Well, I have an expert on the subject with me here in the studio today to talk about it. Dr. Rick Printon is a chiropractor, has been a colleague of mine for more years than I can remember, and he's going to help us out with that topic. Rick, thanks for being here. You're welcome, Dr. Hilton. Good to see you. It's great to see you too. So you're a doctor of chiropractic care. What are the common things you see in, in your practice? In order, the most common are back pain, low back pain, middle back pain, followed by neck pain, and then headaches. Those are the big three that we commonly see. So I also, in my primary care practice, I see a whole bunch of back pain, tons of back pain. I feel a little at a loss knowing what to do. I don't have your skill set in the anatomy of the body, frankly, in what to do about it. So, you know, what do I have? Well, I got pills. I got that. What can someone expect when they come to your office having had back pain for months or years even? Sure. So what the typical experience, we'll take a history. We'll find out how did you hurt yourself? Did you sleep wrong? Did you bend and lift something? Did you fall? Was there some sort of trauma involved? So we'll try to get that history. And then at Hennepin Healthcare, we've got the access to all the different types of treatments that they've had. Like say, for example, if you'd refer a patient, I can see your assessment and find out what happened. Uh, We'll examine them, go through motor, sensory, reflex evaluation, range of motion. We'll feel the back for spasm, challenge the joints in case we have to do a mobilization or a manipulation to the joint or to the spine, set up a treatment plan, uh, arrive at a diagnosis, order any imaging that we need, and then start working them. Usually series of four or six sessions. And your practice is embedded in the same place where I work. You're in this big eight-city block, major urban hospital campus. Your practice is right here, uh, co-mingling with everybody else, with physical therapists, with acupuncturists, with surgeons, with primary care doctors like me. How do most people get in to see you? Are they referred or do they come walking in off the street? Both, but the great majority, it's about 90% now are referred from the providers within Hennepin. So from primary care, the different specialty cares refer. And about 10% tend to find us through their insurance. Tell me about how, you know, nothing's 100% effective. How effective are the treatments you have? And I'm asking you to like self-critically look at your practice. How effective is it at treating back pain? We think quite effective, but what we'll do is we know, I know, you know, doing this for 30 years, that within six sessions, I can either help someone or not. But the beautiful thing at Hennepin is we have so many different resources. I've got acupuncture. I've got physical therapy. I can refer out for some massage therapy. We've got all the different, maybe even psychotherapy. If a, if a patient needs that, we've got yoga therapists that are that are physical therapists. We've got Tai Chi and Qigong type of treatments that the integrative health physical therapists work with. So many different types of treatments. So if I'm not effective, we can call on someone else. What causes, now this is a big general question, what causes back pain? Okay, so I get it if somebody broke their yeah, – and listeners probably understand if you break your a bone or something, that hurts. But the, the kind of the chronic back pain, what's going on in the human body there? Posture is the biggest underlying Oh, thanks cause. a lot. Because right now, <laughs> I'm sitting like – I'm slouching down. I got my coffee in one hand. My feet are about six feet in front of me, and I'm all slouched down. And you're sitting perfectly. Posture is one of them. That's the, one of the biggest co- underlying causes. Okay, don't mind me while I sit up straight now. Really? Okay, <laughs> yeah. say more about that. Yeah, so our, our – 
spine, as you look at it from the side, has a normal S-shaped curve. And as we sit all slumped over, like you were describing, yeah. the head pushes forward and our back turns into more of a C than an S. So what that does is it separates the spinal joints and puts them under stress. And then it squeezes the disc from front to back and pushes that disc material that's mobile backward and hits the back of the ligament that can generate pain. So it's more like a C than an S. So I'm envisioning that and I, I look at a lot of x-rays in people's spines. So I get that. But for a listener, so if you're looking at the side from your neck down to your tailbone is a C that bulges backwards? Correct. So as you look at you from the side, normally we should have the ears over the shoulders, shoulders over the hips, a little indent in the lower back as well as the neck. That makes perfect sense. I like how you've just explained that to me, and I'm probably super guilty of that. Okay, my wife is going to probably be listening to this, and she's going to say she's convinced. My wife, Julie, is convinced that in not too long of a future, the human species is going to have a curvature of their head looking forward because we're always hunched over our cell phones. Can you comment on that? Is that a thing? You know, people are texting on their phones and they're always looking down. If you walk through the hospital hallways, this isn't a great thing, but you'll see a lot of people walking and texting and looking down or they're reading the paper. I don't know what they're doing on their phones. Absolutely. Comment on that if you would there, doctor. <laughs> it's called tech neck. And tech neck tech is, neck? Yeah, yeah. There's a name for there it? There is. There is. And the head is jutted forward an inch, two inches, five inches, six inches. The chin is on the chest, which just pinches that area of the neck to the upper back region. It's one of the major causes that we're seeing of neck and back pain. And then also there's COVID epidemic back pain. You know, we're much less active. So we're laying on the couch. We're streaming, I don't know how many episodes of whatever your favorite is. And then we're finally saying, I got to get up and move. And then we run or exercise real heavily after being couch potatoes for two years. So you kind of described my last two <laughs> years there, Rick. But the technique is a real thing. With that head bent forward, we see a lot of that. So if you can imagine, the middle back muscles are all pulled apart and separated. And the chest muscles become tight and the neck muscles become tight. Because again, we've got that C type of curve look to us. What tips do you have for people to A, avoid tech neck and uh, B, if you've got, I'm, I'm so tense in my trapezius muscles, the ones here, the big ones up on your shoulders there. How do you avoid it and what can you do about it? We try to explain just what we're doing right now, try to explain this is what's happening. And I've got some models in my room and some posters of what proper looks like. And then most people are rounded forward. So I'll put them into that proper positioning. And sometimes it's a little tender or sore because their body's already adapted to that C-shaped curve. It's just a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. There aren't really any gadgets or supports that you can use to help. You've just got to work at it. But most people are pretty smart. If you can lay out what needs to happen and slowly work toward it, there's no magic bullet, people are pretty responsive to try it. Is there a way to stretch? Your, you know, we always say, oh, you got to stretch. You know, I tell people that all the time, be active, walk, do your things. And then I always say, yeah, you should stretch. It sounds sort of quaint, does it? How do you stretch your neck muscles? And is it helpful for people to try that? It absolutely is. And How do you do it? So if you can imagine sitting up very straight and then like someone's going to push their hand into your face and you're going to pull it backward. And as you pull it backward, you can lift your head upward, which will help try to restore the curve of the neck. Also, we talk about opening and pulling the shoulders backward, opening up the chest and squeezing the shoulder like blades. Like that proud chest Like the proud of. chest, exactly. Yeah. I'm doing it right now. Yep. So, But when you pull your neck back, that doesn't look attractive. Right? It doesn't. And you should probably do that in the privacy of work. Yeah, you've you got are. four chins. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but that actually is a, a, a I, I'm hugely, because my, one of my kids even said when we were driving one day, she says, dad, your, your head like sticks forward. And I think that, you know, I, I'm a, I'm super guilty at this. 
Do you see people in the clinic for that, or is it mostly lower back? Neck is secondary, but lower back is primary. But it's probably percentage-wise 55% to 45%. So it's really close, really close. And neck pain is actually increasing as time goes on. We've been talking with Dr. Rick Printon. He is a chiropractor here. He's a friend and colleague of mine for many, many years at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to talk about a couple of topics. I want to hone in a little bit on low back pain uh, because it's so common and what people maybe can do to prevent it and what they might expect when they come to your clinic. And then I'd like to ask you to comment on how chiropractic care fits into our larger systems of healthcare. So we will do that right after this short break. So stay with us. You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Have a question or a comment for the doctor? Become a part of our show by reaching out to us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation. We're back. We're talking to Dr. Rick Printon, a chiropractor here at Hennepin Healthcare. Low back pain. So Rick, you said that's probably the number one thing you see in the clinic. First of all, before we talk about what you would do in your practice, we talk people through that. Is it inevitable? It's so common. How does one prevent low back pain? Low back pain is almost inevitable. As we were walking up on two feet and two legs, there's a tremendous amount of stress that comes down in the lower lumbar, low back vertebrae in the sacrum and the ilium or the supporting structures of the pelvis. So it's almost inevitable. I think there's very few people that I've ever talked to that have never had an episode of low back pain. So prevention is really movement and exercise and correct posture again. With the correct posture, it starts with supporting your lower back with a pillow or a chair to maintain the normal lordosis or lordosis. Yep. Why is it called lordosis? I know that's a little (laughs) side side note. Yeah, I think it is a Latin term. Yeah, okay. But it's just the the normal curve of the lower back. But if you can have that supported, that's where it all starts. And then try to avoid the bending and lifting, you know, with straight legs. Try to squat as you bend and lift. Maintain the normal curves of your back as you're bending and lifting. We talk about keeping the nose and toes in line. Try not to twist the spine too much when you bend and lift. In the office, you know, how we look at it and how we care for it. I'll take a history and try to find out how you did it. What if you don't know? uh, Yeah, sometimes you don't. Sometimes people just wake up with pain. But usually we can talk about that, that, oh, you know what? I did. I I drove up to Duluth and I golfed on the weekend. Oh, I had this really hard hit and felt a twinge and then I drove back. Then my back was sore. But sometimes people sleep wrong. They'll sleep in a folded up position and they can pinch a joint or irritate something in the back. So sometimes it is pretty insidious. Most of the time there's a reason though. But then we try to arrive at a diagnosis. What caused it? Is it a disc problem? Is it a joint problem? Did you pull a muscle? Most back pain goes away in two weeks. But it's those that hang on. It's about 80% that typically go away. But if pain persists or comes back again and again, then we want to try to find the cause of it. Is there a role for x-rays? Absolutely. If there's any sort of trauma involved or if there's uh, immunocompromised patients or heavy steroid use, that type of thing. And then again, the beauty working at Hennepin is most of that's been done beforehand. And most of the referrals come from primary care. So I'll just message back and say, hey, I'm thinking, you know, they've got uh, this type of situation going on. I'd really like to see what's happening. The big one is MRI scan. If they had a situation going on for a while where you suspect an infection tumor or a disc lesion, we really want to see what's happening in there. So do you like it when people come with their MRIs already done? I do. Yeah, Yeah. I do. I always struggle with that about when to order an MRI because everybody wants one on the day after they hurt their back. You know, I was shoveling snow. We're here in Minnesota. I was shoveling snow and I really hurt my back and it hurts a whole lot. I can barely move. And I generally tell people, yeah, yep, 
I believe you, but I don't get an MRI then because you know that happened yesterday, and it's unless there's a warning sign for something significantly bad. But for someone who's had it recurring or uh, significant back pain that doesn't go away after weeks or months, I often do then get an MRI. That probably helps drive what you do if you have that. If it's a neurologic thing versus a bony thing versus a muscular thing, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And one of the hardest conditions to work with is stenosis or narrowing of the spinal canal, and it can either be in the middle or or when the nerves exit off to the side. Those are really challenging to try to work with because it's a bony compression and that we really have to have an x-ray to see what's happening. Typically over age 55 or 60 is where we'll, we'll see that. So talk to me about what I might expect when I'm on your table. Sure. What are you going to do? Sure. So what we'll do is assess to find out, okay, what's happening here? And if it is a joint problem, meaning like you can turn full 45 degrees one way, but only 10 degrees the other way, you know, why? Is there a muscle that's so spasmed up on that site or is there a joint that's blocking that area? And if it's a joint blockage, we'll get in, I'll lay you face down. I'll have you do a series of some back bend stretches and exercises, push against it. I may lay you on your side and mobilize or work the joint, almost like you'd hold your finger and kind of wiggle it back and forth, you know, kind of get those joint motion happening again. And joint restriction will come from, oh, like we talked about again, the posture or from past injury where it wears down the pad in between the joint and it becomes very sticky and very tight and it adheres together. Then we avoid the movement because there's pain or pain avoidance type of individuals. But we've got to eventually start getting that area moving again. Otherwise, we have asymmetric movement of the spine. Can you feel that with your hands? Can you feel a tight joint or a muscle that is asymmetric from the other side? You really can, yeah. It takes some training, but that's what we're trained to do, and, and we, we can, yeah. So then do you manipulate those joints? What does that mean? Yeah, we will if it's indicated. It's a, We call it a cavitation or like a little pop or a crack of the joint some people will feel, and it's just air escaping out of the joint. But we don't have to because you can mobilize or move the joint and get just to the same outcome as a manipulation. So speaking of training, you said you're good at this. You know, you've got special training. What did you have to do to train to be a chiropractor? Sure. So I got my undergraduate degree from St. Thomas years ago. Back was in the college of St. Thomas, now the university. And then four years of chiropractic school. And the first two years of chiropractic school were more of all the basic sciences. And then after that, it was more training towards spinal-related conditions and issues and problems and how to treat them. You mentioned earlier, you listed off three, four, five, six other types of health professionals that you have available as your colleagues uh, in our healthcare system. Can you talk for a bit about how chiropractic care fits in the larger scheme of healthcare? I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing that. Sure. So we at Hennepin, we're up on the third floor. It's the neuroscience area. So we're acupuncture, chiropractic, and physical therapy in our wing. Just down the hall is neurosurgery, our fantastic neurosurgeons. We've got our TBI, traumatic brain injury, our PM&I, our physical medicine rehabilitation, and then all the therapies, occupational physical therapy, and um, all the other speech therapists, all within the same area. So the way chiropractic fits in, like, I can give you an example of a case I just saw today, if you don't mind. Do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So the example was a non-English speaking gentleman, just a wonderful gentleman that unfortunately was getting out of his car and another vehicle came past and struck his left leg. So much trauma, he was taken to uh, Hennepin here, and unfortunately, he lost his leg. But it was an amputation above the knee, which is very challenging. That's challenging. That's high up, yeah. High up, exactly. So he went through all of his therapy, all of his gait training. This happened in 2016. And so it's been several years ago that this happened. And he just went back to orthopedics, um, where he initially started with and had back pain that was getting worse and worse over the last six months. They referred him to me. Then I'm also going to bring in acupuncture. 
get him back to the gait therapist and get him back into physical therapy so he can have a multimodal approach. And then lastly, he's going back to his pain specialist for any medication management or if he needs a spinal or a joint injection. So it's a whole team that's going to be working with him. I can't actually describe a better system than you just did. It's fantastic just to be involved with the people uh, that are working. It's just, it's just amazing. It's really How did you amazing. land here? That's a great story. Was, you know, I had my own private practice for 13 years in St. Paul, and I worked real closely with our medical group in St. Paul years ago. And I knew I didn't want to do this all by myself. There were four of us that were working together in the office. And uh, this opportunity, a woman named Pat Culliton had what was called the Alternative Medicine Clinic 30-plus years ago, acupuncture only, and she was looking for a chiropractor. So she interviewed, I interviewed her, we talked, and I started on a trial basis because they weren't quite sure if they wanted chiropractic here 21 years ago, or 23 years ago, I'm sorry. But we did, and it's uh, grown since then. We now have eight chiropractors, eight acupuncturists, and seven holistic physical therapies in six different clinics that we work with. That is awesome. I happen to know the person you referenced, Pat Culliton. And she was a pioneer in developing uh, this practice here at Hennepin Healthcare. She really was. And, um, and it's going strong to this day with you and your colleagues. So let's shift gears a little bit, uh, Dr. Print, and talk about headaches. I've talked about this with so many patients. I've talked to other people, even on this podcast, about the treatment of headaches. What role does chiropractic care have in the treatment of headaches? So first of all, we have to try to identify which kind it is. And we love the referrals from primary and especially neurology because they've already differentially diagnosed a lot of the nasty type of things. That it's not a brain happen. tumor in there or something. Not a brain tumor, you know, not an aneurysm, that type of thing. So usually we'll see... Uh, tension headaches, but tension headaches can be mixed in with migraine. Migraine is really challenging to try to get rid of. It's a, it's a multi-cause approach. But usually people with headaches have a lot of tension in the neck and the upper back area. And there's a little nerve called the greater occipital nerve at the base of the skull. And if we sit in, again, that You're part, really going to make me think <laughs> back through my neuroanatomy class. I think it was sick that day. <laughs> so the greater occipital nerve is at the base of the skull. And if we sit in that slouch position, the skull will rock back and then irritate that nerve and then muscle spasm up around it. So a lot of times it's self-traction, manual traction, mobilizing, stretching the neck, doing tissue work and doing some of these exercises uh, that we talked about earlier. Do you have the strongest hands in the world? <laughs> they get tired, believe me, at the end of the week. Usually by Friday I could. Really? Because yeah. I can imagine that. I, I'm still on headaches here, but you know, the, you got the back of the head here thing and, and I can imagine you, you know, I've got this picture in my head of somebody lying on a table and like you're pulling their head yeah. out or something or trying to loosen up those muscles or mobilize those muscles. Is that what you do? That is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we see patients about every 20 to 40 minutes if it's a new or an existing patient. And yeah, we do. But it, uh, we get through our day and we, we do just fine. You have to go see one of your colleagues then to, to, <laughs> to manage the problems that develop from you seeing other patients, maybe. Believe us, we have self-care yeah, within our group. Absolutely. Shift a little bit of, of gears here about safety. Because uh, patients always want, rightfully so, uh, there's a risk and a benefit to everything that's done in healthcare. There's nothing that has perfect benefit, and there's nothing that's completely risk-free. But chiropractic care is, as far as I know, a very safe uh, modality. What are the risks of chiropractic treatments that you do, and uh, how do you minimize those? Absolutely. So there are risks whenever you touch someone or put your hands on without right, a doubt. Right. 
So what we do is look at the osteoporotic person and really careful with them. <clears throat> so with them, we would absolutely do no manipulation. We just you know, people with weak bones. People with weak bones, correct? Yep. So we do more stretching and that type of thing with them. A lot of instruction, almost like a physical therapist would do in the in the office. Uh, for people with other strokes, we don't want to do any neck type of manipulation or movement. There's an artery that runs through the neck up into the brain, so we're very careful with that. Anybody who has dizziness, uh, they call it a thunderclap headache or mm-hmm. headache that develops just out of the blue, really cautious with them. And luckily, we've got our neurology clinic right down the hallway or urgent care that we can send them to. So there's always an inherent risk whenever you touch on it. We try to minimize that through the history, looking at the chart, and just talking to the patient. What about when people have neurologic symptoms with their back pain. Um, I don't know if I get through a day's clinic in primary care without somebody talking first about their low back pain, but some of them with low back pain, that pain shoots down their leg. It's you know sciatica, sciatic pain, big, huge bundle of nerves that go from your lower back down all the way to your tootsie toes. That's a neurologic thing, the nerves getting pinched or whatever. What, what do you do in that situation? Those are great cases that I love to work with. And we partner usually with our neurosurgery or our PM&R team with that. So typically, first of all, you have to find out if it's a herniated disc or if it's that stenosis that we are talking about. And usually it's 90 plus percent of the herniated discs don't require surgery, but sometimes they do. If they have foot drop, if they have a thing called cauda equina, which is compression of the spinal cord causing really nasty symptoms into the groin and down the legs. But we talked a little bit about, you know, when should you order an MRI or how do you, you know, what do you do? The ordering of the MRI, there are some standards where greater than six weeks, of progressing symptoms, pain that's uh, unrelenting, foot drop, you know, that type of a thing. Yeah, if your it, foot, if the toes of your foot are dropping down and you're hitting it on the stairs when you walk, for instance. Correct. Or you can't go up the stairs if there's muscle atrophy where the muscles are weakening. But specific treatment, we can partner with our, our medical um, colleagues. Sometimes they'll do, it's called a medrol dose pack or a steroid burst in order to try to shrink some of that inflammation that's happening. There's special exercises lying on your side, lying on your stomach that can really help that low back disc herniation. So we reinforce those exercises. We don't do too much manipulation over the mm-hmm. herniated disc because mm-hmm. it's so sore anyway. But we use uh, little gentler techniques and then traction. And then our physical therapists here at Hennepin have traction devices that really respond well to them. Is it like sandbags? <laughs> it's not like sandbags. There's a table that slides or moves back and forth. Really? Much more motorized now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You don't like hang a bag of sand <laughs> off somebody's leg or something and do <laughs> No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. People people think traction. They're probably thinking of these like medieval devices, you know, and it's not that bad. Huh? Not that bad. No, it's a motorized device that you're, you are strapped in, but it's very calculated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the rack. <laughs> the rack. It's not the rack. You mentioned a few things that I do want to make sure listeners um, have heard about the warning signs for when you have low back pain. And you mentioned some of you mentioned cauda equina syndrome. Cauda um, equina is hoarse. It looks because the nerves down in the spine, in your lower spine, that your spinal cord kind of turns into little fibers, doesn't it? It sort of looks like the tail of a horse. Yes. And so if you if you have that damage to those areas, you can get foot drop or you can get incontinent of your bladder and your bowel. And and those are those are warning signs that you you listeners, you do need to go seek care immediately. I I also add if you are a cancer patient that has new low back pain 
or any of these neurologic symptoms, another warning sign. So listeners, um, uh, make sure you know that if you're getting those new neurologic symptoms, especially if you're a cancer patient. Um, but otherwise, Dr. Printon and his team are the are people that you can go see and get some good relief um, for your low back pain. Rick, would you have time for a couple of questions from listeners? Absolutely. Okay, so we got this question from Kim in St. Paul. She says, I was playing tennis last weekend, and in a twisting motion, I seem to have pulled something in the inside muscles of my back. How can I go about getting relief for this? Is it better to start with ice or with heat? Thanks. Advice is ice for sure. Start with, and usually those type of conditions will resolve within a couple of weeks, but if they persist, you've already given it a week. If it persists more than two weeks, the chiropractic evaluation would be would be absolutely uh, recommended in that situation, especially uh, tennis. It's a, it's a twisting type of motion of the back, so you could have strength or irritated a joint in the back. You said a twisting motion. I've seen that so many times and there's so many ways that can happen. Shoveling snow when you're like leaning down, you're not bending your legs at all, then you twist to throw heavy snow. Yes, absolutely. You can kind of see the physics involved of how much pressure is applied to the spine when you have a weight on the end of a shovel and you're twisting and turning and you're doing that 100, 200, 300 times. So the repetitious amounts of doing that just strains and irritate and sprains the joint. So to summarize that, you would start with ice, yeah, start with ice for sure. And then there are some stretches that can work. And the stretches that I love, there's a physical therapist called Robin McKenzie. And it's McKenzie type of therapy stretches that are really effective for those types of back issues. Um, and it's typically lying on your stomach and gently going backward to try to bring those joints back together nice and easy, relatively pain-free. So the McKenzie Institute, that sounds like a great tip. We'll put a link to that in the podcast description. On to the next question. And we got another question from Dave in Egan. He says, I have trouble lifting my arm above my head on one side. I can't put my finger on a particular injury, but it's been sore for about six months now, and I'm not seeing much improvement. I'll likely be going in for an evaluation, but curious if you had an opinion as to what might be going on. Shoulder injuries are really challenging to work with, and usually we look first toward the rotator cuff muscle. It's a, it's a series of four muscles that hold the joint in place. Typically, it's an overuse situation where there's so much work going forward that the, the ball of the shoulder actually rolls forward slightly. The muscles in the back of the shoulders become weak, and, and the front of the tendons become impinged and irritated. So you can have a bursitis, tendonitis type of situation, but it takes a long time for the soft tissues to heal, and we really have to rehabilitate it with uh, strengthening of the back of the shoulder muscles. Do you think Dave will ever be pitching in the World Series? I don't think so, no, depending <laughs> on his age. <laughs> he might be, but... I I, I, I'm glad that question was asked because that after back pain might be um, really common in my my practice. People and it's months after months after months, and they're they're struggling to um, to get better. Those connective tissues, those tendons, those muscles don't just heal instantly, do they? They take a long time, and it's probably one of the most frustrating type of diagnoses to give someone. And, and the rehabilitation on it is long and slow, and you really have to take your time. They will take three to six to nine months to a year to come around, but you have to stick with it. Yeah, th th that's such a key point. It, stick with it. It can take a while. I often tell people, think of the miraculous range of motion in your arm and what the human shoulder is capable of doing. You can Some people can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour, but the rest of us can um, comb our hair and we can golf and we can play tennis and we can do all the things we can do because your shoulder can move in so many planes of motion. It's just like an incredible joint, but it's incredibly complex. Very complex. <laughs> yeah, and it takes a while to heal. So I often tell people, be patient. It might be a year. You know, and they look at me like, say what? 
the shoulder's going to hurt me for a year. And I go, it might, it might, but but we'll we'll work on it together. So that's a great question. I appreciate uh, Dave sending that in. And thank you, Dr. Rick Printon, for being on the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome, Dr. Hilden. My pleasure. I appreciate you being on the show. You've given us lots of really good tips. I've learned something. As always, listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode. And keep your questions and comments coming, and we will get to them on a future episode. And if you're enjoying the Healthy Matters podcast, please leave us a review. Tell your friends and subscribe. I hope you'll join us for the next episode. And in the meantime, be healthy and be well. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters podcast with Dr. David Hilden. For more information on Healthy Matters or to browse the archive, visit our website at healthymatters.org. To catch all the latest from Dr. Hilden and the Healthy Matters podcast, follow us on Twitter at drdavidhilden. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support us, please leave us a review and share the Healthy Matters podcast with your friends and family. The Healthy Matters podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and engineered by John Lucas at Highball. Executive producers are Jonathan Comito and Christine Hill. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have more serious or pressing health concerns. Until next time, be healthy and be well.